in a series on discerning God's will for our life. And the first weeks dealt with how do we move forward when God doesn't say what we thought he'd say, or when he says it in such a difficult way that makes our previous pursuit of him no longer make that much sense. How do we move forward in the confusion? We talked about some ways to think there. And we followed it up last week with, eventually, when things aren't happening the way you want them to happen before the Lord, eventually you begin to ask an honest question like, is it an issue of faith? Is it my issue? Do I not have the faith? And the very practical idea that we looked at was the idea of the tithe, because the tithe is a fundamental concept of faith for the the person who follows Jesus. Um, If you have faith and you understand the tithe, That's a great litmus test. Well, this Sunday, we're entering into the question of, you know, if you were driving along going, is it that I've not been seeking the Lord well or that I know how to seek him? Should I be seeking him better? And how do I seek the Lord's will better? And when we talk about this subject, we very quickly move to the thought of prayer, but I I practically want to emphasize the concept of fasting this morning the concept of fasting, which for most of us, I expect, is a fairly alien thought. Um, The Western modern Christian church has largely let go of fasting uh, for, for various reasons, of which I don't fully understand them all. I simply know that I, my generation's grown up in a church in the across the country in a church that doesn't speak of fasting like it speaks of prayer. And um, maybe you think it's because they're so different, but I don't. This is the example I'll use. When I was a boy, so most of you, some of you may not even know this film, but when I was a boy, I was a big fan of the movie Parent Trap with Haley Mills. Now, I was mostly a fan of it because I had a thing for Haley. I had a childhood crush on Haley Mills. Uh, pretty real. And uh, so I, but the movie's good in its own right. It just made it even better. But the point of the movie Parent Trap, and I can't really give you a spoiler alert. The movie was made about 45 years ago or 50 years ago. But... Uh, uh, the girl, two girls were born as identical twins and they were separated at birth. They were separated at birth because their mother and father had a nasty divorce. And so they never even knew that, the, that they had a sister, an identical twin sister. And Haley Mills plays, plays both roles. So if you have a crush for her, it's like double, <laughs> it's a double win that movie is. And uh, so at any rate, they grow up as individual young girls, and when they're young women in, I suppose, high school, they go to a summer camp, and they happen to coincidentally be at the same summer camp at the same time, and through the sort of misadventures of summer camp, discover that they're sisters. And the movie's very lighthearted and very Disney, but uh, it also is is always sort of running on the skin-deep version of a pretty serious idea, which is the heartbrokenness of having such a significant partner 
as an identical twin separated from you and you didn't even know. And the movie is about trying to recover that and through that recovering the family. I see that as prayer and fasting. Fasting is the twin of prayer. If you read the scriptures, they're twins. And we have separated them somehow from birth, it seems. And so this morning, as we seek about how, think about how we seek the Lord better, I, I want us to begin the path of sort of reunifying something that God did not intend to be separated. And so we're going to talk about fasting. So what is fasting? Very, very practically, fasting needs to abstain, usually from food, but to abstain. If you grew up with a Catholic tradition and you did Lent, you, that touches on the concept of fasting, though you may not have always given up food, you may have given up, well, some of you for Lent may have given up something you should not have been doing anyway. You're like, I'm giving up alcohol for Lent, you know, or I'm giving up foul language for Lent. Those things you just give up, you know, at some level, right? You, you, you get my, my drift. But, you know, you could give up Xbox for Lent, right? you know, but usually it's food. But it's not, in, it's not, purely a religious idea, nor is it simply a Christian idea. Uh, you will be told if you have blood work that has to get drawn up, they'll tell you sometimes to fast 12 hours prior. Right? That's, not the church, that's not the hospital concerned about your spiritual health. Right? They're not asking you to go home and pray. They're saying don't eat. Uh, if you are into diets, diets embrace the concept of fast as far as there's things you can eat and there's things you can't eat. It's just basic. Uh, many other religions embrace fasting in very profound ways. We have a word we use fairly regularly. The word is break fast, and we eat there. And that's what it means. The fast is being broken. In fact, the old English word for breaking the fast was disner, which is where we get the word dinner from. It just meant, you know, back we have like somewhere between three and eight square meals a day in America, but a long time ago, they had the meal of the day. And so they would break the fast to eat the meal of the day. Um, fasts can be enjoyed in varying degrees and in varying ways. You could fast from a thing. You could fast from a meal. One meal a week. One day a week. One... Uh, for a week, all sorts of ways. And all of those sorts of ways show up in the Bible. Just nearly, what I'm saying is there's not a monolithic idea of what fast is, and we have to go do that thing. It's a concept. And the concept then wraps around a purpose. And it's always joined with prayer. In the Old Testament, you find that fasting surfaces around the concept of an awareness of being separated or distant from God and wanting to draw close. This helps get to the heart of why we fast, is we feel that there's something that, something that can only be known in the closeness of God, and we do not feel close for some reason or another. You find it for several reasons in the Old Testament. One is to mollify God's wrath, God's wrath is impending. 
People might fast and pray before the Lord to avert his wrath. So a really great example uh, is in Jonah chapter 3. And the reason I, I think this is such a good example, and it's a little long to read there, but it's because the people who fast are not even Jewish. Jonah goes to Nineveh and says to Nineveh, in 40 days Nineveh will be overthrown, and the people of Nineveh, upon hearing the impending wrath of God, humble themselves in sackcloth and ashes and commit themselves to fasting and praying to such a degree that when the king hears what they're doing, he makes a royal edict that obligates the city to the fast to include their livestock and says, maybe we can avoid the wrath of God. Who knows? It's just a really great example. Other reasons you might fast in the Old Testament was to receive God's mercy. Psalm 35 talks about uh, the psalmist praying and fasting for the healing of others. You're drawing close to the Lord so that he might hear your cry. To spur God to action, one might fast in the Old Testament. And these are in the handout, by the way. I'm just kind of summarizing them. Something is wrong or a point of grief would, would cause somebody to fast. When David, King David hears that Saul and Jonathan are dead, that day he prays and fasts. He needs nothing that day. So he's not actually spurring the Lord to do anything. He's not trying to you know, avert God's wrath or convince God to do anything. He's merely drawing close to the Lord in the midst of grief. So, uh, something is wrong might cause somebody to, to fast. A solemn occasion. Uh, the highest holy day of the Hebrew people was the Day of Atonement. And that day is devoted to the concept of the sinfulness of mankind and the mercy of God. And on that day, you eat nothing. Because that is such a, that's the main work of God for us. And God's saying, draw close to me in it. Set yourselves apart for it. Also in the Old Testament, you find fasts that, I don't have a great phrase for it, but they seem divinely ordained or divinely instituted. They just seem to happen. When Moses goes to the mountain to be with God and receive the Ten Commandments, the covenant, he neither eats nor drinks for 40 days. I mean, there's something actually divinely empowering in that, right? Because you can't not drink for 40 days. God's at work in that moment. He does that twice, by the way. Both times, he goes up to get the commandments of the Lord, the first and the second. For 40 days, he neither eats nor drinks. And so all of these exist in the Old Testament, and we can find traces of them and even clear examples of them in the New Testament. Jesus, does he not spend 40 days in the wilderness fasting? before the Lord? Fasting is like prayer. It's joined to prayer. It's related to prayer. It accompanies prayer, gives emphasis to prayer. It's a way in our prayer, in our reaching to the Lord, that we express need, that we speak petition, Fasting as a principle, here's the thought, is it is a recognition of dependence on God. When you fast, the physicality of it makes 
issues of dependency rise. You're hungry. You, your body says, I need to eat. And it's at that moment that you recognize dependency on God. For from him comes food and life, and in him everything has its being. Right? In Christ, everything was made through Christ and for Christ, and in him we have our being. Hence the root of fast. I am dependent upon the Lord. Now, to understand dependency and then to say, okay, I have to fast, doesn't get us out of the woods. From this point, you can proceed rightly and you can proceed wrongly. So a lot of damage has been done among people who fast, which may be why the Western church has jettisoned the concept unintentionally. If we fast forward to the time of Christ, and there's a joke in that, we, thank you, what we find is, is that the rule, this is not, not entirely, but the rule is that fasting has become ritualized and emptied of significance. We find that fasting is a hollow ritual that is being done for public display to give meritorious recognition to the faster. People fast for show. They fast to mimic fervent desire for God. But the heart of it, what Jesus critiques in his ministry, is kind of a false heart ruining this work. It's a demonstration of piety. It's not true piety. Not always. So you have some individuals like John the Baptist who, I mean, the life of John the Baptist is a fast. John the Baptist has given up everything in his life. He lives in the wilderness. He dresses with the skins of animals and he, his diet consists of locusts and honey. He's given everything up, which incidentally, as a side note, when he later says, I must decrease so that he can increase, that's coming from a man who's almost given everything up in the first place. It shakes me to think about that. He is living in kind of the abject minimalism of only God is my life and gives that up also. So you see in John the Baptist this dependency of, sort of like the mysterious Moses 40 days, I'm living in a fast because every word that I say needs to be of the Lord. I'm, I'm close to him and I'm playing a close role with him. Hence the importance of me being close. But around John the Baptist are Pharisees who are curious and confused by what he's doing because of the true piety and devotion and yet they're showing their false righteousness. Here's an example of, of this in... Uh, Matthew 6. And you can actually, if you want to open your Bibles to Matthew 6, it's a convenient place to be. Most of the scriptures that I'll reference will be on the screen. It's page 691 if you're using one of the Bibles in the seats. But it's a little bit later I'll point this chapter out to you. But this is what he says. And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they... disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, 
They have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. See the difference? The difference is motivation. I don't actually think that Jesus here is saying when you fast, nobody else can know about it. In fact, I would encourage you, if you have a close brother or sister in Christ, that when you do fast, they would know about it. Not the world, guard your motivation, but somebody else, particularly if you have a health concern, somebody to say, hey, you're, like, you're looking a little weak. But the, it's the motivation. People are fasting for the eyes of man, to which Jesus says, well, they're going to have their reward in this life. But you fast for the eyes of God, because you're dependent on him. That's the spirit there. This perversion of the fast, which was prevalent during the time of Christ, I think, just in my conception of church history, it's the sort of thing that comes to my mind when I think of the gloomy European medieval church. Like the monkish gloom, where every day is cloudy, and everything the monks would say are sad, and all the loats are low notes in minor key. It's just lame as far as not capturing the fullness of God. Right In God is life. And in fasting is life. But it, it sort of become a, a self-afflicting piety. I think for that reason it might have been jettisoned from our historic practice. Richard Foster, who is a Christ-following Quaker, wrote a very good book uh, several decades ago called Celebration of Discipline. And in his book, he has a chapter on fasting. And in his research, he says this, I, I could not find a book written on the subject of fasting from 1861 to 1954, almost 100 years. 100 years of church history. Our century of church history devoid of the concept. You need to realize the church writes what it's talking about. So the, the suggestion here is, is for a hundred years-ish, the church has not even been addressing this topic as though they really are not twins or they really are not related. Or that fasting is something that elite Christians do in their elite capacities of the church. But the Bible says everybody fasted. The testimony of Scripture is, you did it, and I did it. People fasted because people want to be close to God. If I was to do a survey, and I won't make, I won't make you raise your hands, but if I was to do a survey, who here has tried to pray to God? I think most of you would raise your hands. Whether or not you're even a follower of Jesus, you'd say, well, I've tried to pray, Sure. If I said, who's here is fasted, genuinely fasted, I don't mean a New Year's resolution. I don't mean a gym membership where you're like, and I'll call it a fast. Like really fasted, I think many, many of us have not. How do they get so separated? Well, fasting in the light of Christ, here's what we see, kind of the testimony of the life of Christ and the New Testament writers, uh, the apostles, we see this, despite the corruption of the practice, Jesus does not abandon the teaching 
of the fast. He himself fasts for 40 days. And when he fasts, the very spirit of dependence is what rises out, right? Satan comes to him during his 40 days in the wilderness and tempts him. The first temptation is on the very issue of the fast. Hey, if you're the son of God, why don't you tell these stones to turn into bread? Satan's saying, aren't you hungry? If you're all powerful, eat. To which Jesus reflects dependence on God. He says, he quotes scripture, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of the living God. I'm dependent upon him. During the ministry of Christ, this is an interesting passage. This is Matthew 9. What's interesting is the disciples did not fast. And other people found that very, very curious. They go to Jesus. They say, why are your disciples not fasting? The disciples of John the Baptist fasted. And Jesus gives this interesting teaching. He says, do the people mourn when the bridegroom is among them? It's sort of the thought of, you know, the wedding party is happy. They're not sad and they don't go without when the bridegroom's among them. In other words, I'm among the disciples. Why would they fast? Now, the implications of this are very significant. Just think about it. To a people who fast to draw close to the Lord, who fast to commune with God, and in their fasting and prayer, they're communing with God, and they look over and they see that Jesus' disciples are not fasting, and he says, why would they fast? I'm with them. Think of that. Why would they pray to God when I'm here? But he does say a day's going to come when I won't be with them and they will fast. These are the days. In Matthew 6, where I asked you to open earlier, the teaching, it doesn't say if you fast, don't fast like the hypocrites. It says when you fast, don't fast like the hypocrites. The assumption of Christ, to the, and this is the Sermon on the Mount. He's giving this to regular folk. His assumption is you will fast. I'm going to correct and mend your practice. And if you see the setting, if you just look in the chapter and see the setting, what you'll see is the teaching on the fast comes immediately after the Lord's Prayer. And the teaching that precedes the Lord's Prayer is an equally, it's a very similar teaching on how to pray. When you pray, don't pray like the hypocrites. The Lord's Prayer is bookended by prayer and fasting because they're not separate. They're twins. You find in the letters in the book of Acts that the apostles and the followers of Christ fasted. Paul and Barnabas are praying in the city of Antioch. This is Acts chapter 13. They're praying with the other elders of the church or the leaders of the church. It says they are praying and fasting. And through the praying and fasting, because they're twins, they're not separate, right? The Holy Spirit speaks and says, set apart for me, Paul and Barnabas, for the work that I have for them. And then it says in the church, then, after fasting and praying, sent them. What I'm saying is, there is no evidence in the word of God for the cessation of fasting and the preservation of prayer. They're related. It gets to how we seek God. How do we seek God? How fervently do we seek God? Here are six practical 
thoughts. And they're on the back of your little insert there. Six practical thoughts about fasting that uh, might help guide you. A couple what's, a couple why's, a couple how's. First of all, what is fasting? I would describe it this way. Fasting is abstaining with a purpose. Purposeful abstaining. This is very, very important. You should allow the purpose to shape the fast. If you have this needling feeling in your gut that you just need to find a better rhythm, a better discipline of spending time in the Word or with God, then a fast that might meet that would not be a a seven-day fast. I might recommend something like, why don't you once a week, start like once a week, find the most stable lunch hour that you can control, and rather than eating, feed on God. You see the purpose shapes the fast? That once a week, or maybe, you know, if, if some regular regimen in your week of saying, during this period of time, I'm going to set this period of time for the purpose of meeting with God. The purpose is essential in the fast. If there was an, an issue or an idea that was kind of in time was a, a momentary crisis, if there was a, a person you loved who was in trouble or a person you cared for, let's say, who was very, very sick. Now, sometimes when someone's sick you know, unto death, you have in your spirit a feeling like, well, this is God's time for them. Like there's often times where we have peace about passing. But there are those times where you hear that someone's sick and something in your spirit says, this is not as God would have it. And it sits there. These are these times just to let things go and use that time. Rather than eating, use that time. Independency, going to the Lord. Lord, life comes from you. And I, have, I do not have a settled spirit about this. And because I can't go anywhere in this world but to you to say it, I'm coming to you during this time. That might be a time where you fast for a day or a couple days, on that person's behalf. If there was a deeper life issue, this is, say, a continuing sinfulness in your life, or an identity issue that you just continually trips you up, right? that might be a trigger for a purposeful fast that would cross a period of time. You know, maybe, maybe every, maybe I'll fast for a week, or two weeks, or uh, maybe every Wednesday, for the year, and I will devote that time to pray about that thing. The important thing to know is purpose has to meet the fast. What else is a fast? You could describe it this way. It is an act of spiritual exposure. You're exposing yourself spiritually when you fast, which means, by the way, verses, let me correct this, spiritual exposure, not physical harm. We don't fast to harm ourselves. God gains no joy from harming his sons and daughters, right? When we baptize, we don't hold them under. We fast to expose before the Lord, to open up before the Lord. And because of that, when when you pursue God in fasting, you should expect 
yourself to be exposed to you. Meaning, don't be surprised if in the first, if you're going to fast for a lengthy period of time, that the first several days, your sinfulness is what's being spun up in front of your face. Okay? Physically, when you fast, if you're going to fast for several days, the first couple days, your breath will start to stink. You're going to feel the pain of hunger more because your stomach hasn't accommodated these sorts of things. Your body hasn't adjusted to the absence of food. In the first several days, it's just not good. It's more painful, even though it's more healthy. That's how your spiritual exposure is. You're going to stink to yourself very often. I'm not, and you think, you're going to feel yourself like, this is not what I signed up for. The Lord is saying, but it is exactly what you signed up for. Do you not want to know me better? If you're going to know me better, you have to know you in my eyes. And he may dig things up. By the way, after you sweat the toxins away, your breath gets good again, the hunger doesn't hurt, and you can head into week five, day five, day six, day seven, and it's different. It's less painful. And during this time, just during general fasting, your spirit, if you're fasting with purpose and if you're dependent on God and you're going to him and all of those things are happening, you become more spiritually sensitive. You become, I find I become emotionally thin. I, life is in living color a little bit. I cry over more things and I have deeper joy over more things. Because we begin to see like God sees. It adds emphasis to prayer. Why would we fast? Because you need to be close to God. Because maybe there's an issue in your life where there's discontent of God will not speak when I am at this distance. I need to draw close to him. You know, we don't always fast. We occasionally fast to emphasize prayer in a time of need for a reason. And in those times of need, it's our way that we signify to the Lord, Lord, only you will feed me now. Why do we fast? We fast because the normal rhythm of your life is not the best environment for you to do anything but normal. We want special things to happen in our normal life. Rarely does that happen. If you, want, if you want a special thing to happen with God, you typically have to set special time aside for it. And these, just very simply, if you were to set aside one meal a week and go for a walk and be with the Lord during that time, that's special. And for some of us, that may be an hour more a week than we spend with God normally. I mean, like, we've all been to the place where we realize the only time we pray is at a meal and it's to get to the food? How special would it be to forgo the meal to get to God? When you fast, you are feasting on God. How do we fast? This is very important. Think of it as an exchange, not as a loss. It is wrong to think of fasting as simply not eating. You are exchanging food for God. It's very important. In a fast, you experience a net gain, not a net loss. 
if fasting is just lost to you, then it ends up empty when you're in it. You're just hungry. (laughs) And you're like, why isn't this meaningful? And God's saying, I don't know. Why would you do that? If you're not going to spend time with me, at least go get a burger. Right? It's an exchange. It's a holy, royal exchange of audience to be with God. And so fill that time up. It's not in and of itself a meritorious act. God is not impressed with someone who does not eat. God listens to someone who comes to him. That's what you're trying to do. I have tendencies during this exchange. Um, so I, I, this is not, I'm just trying to offer thoughts. You know, over the past 10 years, I tried, I fasted several several times, enough to say often over the course of the years, in different ways. And here's what I find. I find my own tendencies. And so the first time I, f- I fast, it's not nearly as good as the next time. And I deal with that, and then that surfaces. But some of my tendencies, if I'm not careful about the exchange, is I fill the absence with busyness. I work through lunch is what ends up happening. Let me just say it that way. I work through lunch. That means I fasted to my employer, not to God, which you might say, well, you're a pastor, but trust me, it can be profoundly unspiritual at times. I I fasted to my employer. You don't want to give up a meal, just choose not to eat and say, now it can be more productive. The God of your bank will thank you, right? Thank you for devoting more time to me, is what your employer should say to you. This is to the holy God of creation. And make sure you guard that exchange. Uh, identity issues interrupt this exchange. I, so my identity issues, I'm always thoughtful of my weight. I can't help, you know, I can one day be healed of it, but it's always in my thoughts. So I can't think about fasting without doing the math. Hmm, how many LBs am I going to drop? Oh, fast is going pretty well as I look in the mirror. Like, things guard yourself because as you pursue God, things will show up to pollute your search of him. How else do I fast? This is the last thought. Take advantage of the space. Don't compensate for it. Let me say it a different way. Fasting shouldn't be like holding your breath, okay? You are not heading into the realm of less. You're heading into the realm of more. So avoid the temptation to gorge yourself the day before your fast and celebrate the end of your fast with a chocolate cake. That smacks to the Lord, I think of, was I really that bad? Like, was being with me this week really that painful? You seem awful happy to leave. Like, apart from the fact that dietitians will tell you not to do that, I have found what would otherwise have been a really special time with God, a little, given a pang of disappointment by the way that I wolfed down a sandwich on graduation day. Weighed into God and weighed out of him. Take advantage of the space. It's, don't compensate. Don't say, well, if I'm not going to eat there, I need to eat there and there so that I'm not hungry there. No. 
Enter into it. Or you'll miss him. There's some recommended reading. You can email me if you want a few websites. You know, if you have health concerns, be careful. Anybody can skip a meal these days. Uh, But if you're going to do something significant, don't do so without prayer, counsel, uh, thoughtfulness. Let me offer you a challenge as we close. We're a group of people that went 100 years without writing a book on this subject. So it feels alien to many of our experiences, but I'm not, I'm not being trendy right now. I'm not trying to give a throwback to medieval church. You're not going to come in next Sunday and see candles. Like, I'm, that's not what's happening. This is not new like a trend is new. This is new like a relative we've never met but have always been related to is new. Okay? They're twins, and they were meant to be together. And I would encourage you over the next several months, just like I'm going to say the word tithe over the next several months because it's biblical and right to express your faith that way. I'm also going to say the word prayer and fasting over the next several months because I think many of us leave with good intentions and forget. So I'm not trying to be a jerk, but I'm just trying to be like a snooze button. You know, we eventually have to wake up and want God. I'll close with this verse. I never read this verse this way until this week. It's Acts 9, and I'll just read it to you. It's on the screen. It's just a a verse of data about Paul. Paul met Jesus on the road to Damascus. His eyes were blinded, and he's dealing with the fact that Jesus is the Son of God. And it says, just the data is, and for three days he was without sight and neither ate nor drank. And I I wish, I wish when we found ourselves feeling like, Lord, I am without sight, I do not know what you want. We would pursue God like this. This is how he would have us come to him. Let's pray, Lord. Bless us in our pursuit of you. Help us to be better seekers of you. We thank you that through faith you give us your spirit that you're not a God of condemnation, but you are a God who sent your son for our salvation. Lord, I thank you for the testimony this morning of uh, Kevin and Abdullah. Lord, I pray that we all would be faithful witnesses of you. Lord, finally, I lift up Wednesday night. I pray that those who come, that we would pray well before you, that we would come ready to pray, ready to seek your face. In Jesus' name, amen.